Welcome to Talking Late Night, where we spotlight top comedians and their late night influences. Here's your host, Max Cantor. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Talking Late Night with Max Cantor. This is my first show, and I am very excited to welcome my guest, uh, Matt Stanton. Hi, Max. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you, Matt. We, we've known each other it has to be like a year and a half, maybe, maybe uh, months. It's mu- multiple months, mu- at least, yeah. at least multiple months. I took classes with you mm-hmm. here at Daz Garage, um, level two and three, I believe, and mm-hmm. then we we did an on camera class. Yeah, and I yeah. just learned so much from you. And I I thought, you know, who could be my first guest on my first show? You're the first name came into my mind. The first guy who replied to the email. <laughs> the first guy yeah. who got back to me. Great. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Oh my I'm excited to talk to you. I'm excited to learn about how you got to where you are, being the, the Atlanta-based comedian that you are, the founder, one of the founders of Dad's Garage. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited to talk to you. But first, I want to talk to you a little bit about late night, you know, and late night TV and talk shows. I love late night. Yeah, I grew. I definitely grew up watching comedy on like late night with David Letterman. Mm-hmm. So when you when you watch it, what do you most look for in a talk show? Like, do you prefer the Jimmy Fallon style, like the games or the interviews? You know, that's interesting because, like, I never really watched Fallon. I mean, so I grew up on Letterman, like straight hardcore Letterman. Well, and a little bit of um, Johnny Carson because I'm I'm that old. (laughs) I remember um, the Tonight Show, and I remember also learning that Johnny Carson wasn't the original host of the Tonight Show. Oh. It, like it's like it took a while for me to find that stuff out because mm. I just you know my history only goes back like so far. <laughs> it was like no 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 there was a guy like back in the you know fifth mm-hmm. was it Jack Parr he was the one who like totally revolutionized and introduced huh. like that talk show thing. So those guys all like sort of bow down to that dude. I mean mm-hmm. I'm I think I'm getting these names right. <laughs> well, but in my estimation at that age it was like Letterman. He was the only. Like, to me, he was the best game in town. You had to stay up a little bit late to watch Letterman, too. Mm-hmm. And I think, like you, I grew up in a household where I was allowed to stay up late. <laughs> and that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, like, you, what Letterman came on, at, I think, at midnight or 1230. Yeah, it was pretty late. So it was, right? Yeah, it was super late. Yeah, I anticipated. I, I, I liked. So he had, like, a good mix of sketch and then the celebrity interviews and the musical guest. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you made it to the musical guest's second performance, that mm-hmm. it was a decent show. But <laughs> if you didn't, eh, you know, it was okay. Like, mm-hmm. you, you got the, the gist of it. Um, the sketch stuff on Letterman, though, was kind of weird. It was. It was weird. You had the man who lived under the stairs. stairs yeah. Yeah, you had that guy. Yeah. Was that Chris Elliott? I think it was. Yeah, I think it was Chris Elliott. And, you know, David Letterman, he just, he, to me, I feel like he, he really revolutionized, just like how you were saying with Johnny Carson and, and who was the first guy you mentioned? Jack Parr. Jack Parr, you know, how they, how they revolutionized these talk shows. I think what David Letterman did, and the thing that comes to my mind is how they used to just throw things off the building. Do you, do you remember that? How they would just toss things off? Like, how do you think of that? You know, that's completely different. I think that's college humor. I think that's what yeah. that, I think his yeah. early, you know, when he took over that show, Letterman was like about the college age crowd. So mm-hmm. he sort of, because he did radio when he was in college. Right, yeah. And I, yeah, he knew who his audience was, right? So mm-hmm. chucking stuff off a building in New York and watching what kind of pattern <laughs> who, it makes. Who, would it, who wouldn't like, like that? Hell you know, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think nowadays, that type of stuff doesn't get that much of a reaction. Now it's the Jimmy Fallon, you know, playing games, being silly, being goofy. Yeah, it's you, got a little more, it almost feels like a, an improv show or yeah, like an audience yeah, participation yeah. thing a little more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think uh, at least the people who I talk with when I mention, you know, James Corden, Jimmy Fallon, all these people, they say, oh, what went viral on YouTube? That's what they've seen. They don't see the the good interviews. They don't see the monologues anymore. Now it's about the sketches and the YouTube viral sensations. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I have some buddies who moved up to New York to do comedy after we started Dad's Garage, and uh, they would show up on um, uh, random Conan sketches. Oh, cool. Hey, Josh Hannes, I'm talking about you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, then I started to see it as like, oh, this is an avenue for some young comedians who are either, they're either writers and so they don't get a lot of camera time or they're friends with the writers mm-hmm. and they, you know, they get a buddy to do a sketch. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like an, 
that was an avenue to get seen, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it is. So and more sketches, more stage time, I it, guess. You know, being on a late night show can really jumpstart a career for somebody. Uh, like when, I, what makes me think of back at Johnny Carson, you know, the comedian, you get invited to the couch. It's life changing, right? You that know, a big deal. so it, it's it's similar where you know you're on late night, like how you were talking about your friend, and you get those repetitions. They get to know you, and now these late night people have so much power. They can produce movies, star movies, and help people. It, it's a it's life changing yeah. to be a big player on these shows. Yeah. I think I think in my opinion, here's one thing I remember most about watching Letterman. I mean, it was hilarious. I loved like, Chris Elliott's stuff. I loved. Um, there was uh, there was just so much weird stuff. Um, <laughs> Br Brother Theodore. What is, what is it? No, what well, is that? Well, we can talk about it, but you, maybe you should just look up Brother Theodore. It's just another like weird. He was okay. a performance artist in New York that they used to call on to the show. Um, but when I was a kid, I didn't know that the guy was a performance artist. Mm -hmm. I thought he was just this strange Eastern European guy who would get extremely upset. And I feel like there was at least one episode of uh, of the show where he like destroyed Letterman's desk. What? But they played it off as like a, whoa, that was weird. But I think it was, now that I'm thinking about it, it was like planned. <laughs> right. Right? Like it was, a, but you know, you're eight, nine years old. Like you don't pay attention to that. But the thing that I would do when I was watching Letterman, even at that young age, don't know why, because I wasn't like set on becoming a performer. Mm -hmm. Um but I would wonder what I would do when I was on the show. Do you, do you play that game? You as like as in what you would do if you were a guest? Yeah, when Letterman uh. was like, "And here's my guest, Max Cantor. Come on out here!" And like, you've sort of played out a little right. bit. How like, would you watch? Who would you wave what song to? Would you have Paul <laughs> right. play? Right, like that kind of thing. Right, because we all know the format so well. Right, it's true. Yeah. It's true. And you know, especially like people like Bill Murray. When they would be on that show, they would come out in the most hilarious ways. I remember, I have a very vivid memory of one of Bill Murray's last times on Letterman's show. He came in flying and singing like Peter Pan. <laughs> and so it's like, and then you think of some other people who just kind of just walk out all solemn. And, you know, they yeah. hey, hello to the audience, hello yeah. to Paul, and they sit down. So that is interesting. You know, how yeah. would you show, how would you make your moment a moment that everybody would be talking about. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I thought about it a lot. Oh, do you know? Do you, how, how would you do it? How would well, you walk I out? Mean, <laughs> when I was a kid, I had it all planned out, you know? Uh -huh. The stuff that I would... But I guess maybe now as an adult, like, now that I have, have been in the industry for a while, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It would be... Now it would be, I would be a little unnerved, I think, you doing think? it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think too much about it now. Uh -huh. I would think too much about it. But as a kid, it was just, it was just like, I'm going to be on that show. I'm going to, mm -hmm. um, I hope Dave asked me what my favorite food is. Cause I got this <laughs> whole bit that I want to do on food, you know, pocket, you had it all planned pocket out. sandwiches. Right. Yeah. Wow. I never thought about that. You know, I don't think, you I didn't don't play think that I, game. I don't think I ever played that game you, where I was just like, you, you see know. yourself on this side of the mic for, though. Yes, so you saw for, yourself doing Dave's job. Yeah. For me, it was yeah. like, what monologue jokes would I tell? Yep. What sketches would I do? I, I always, I always imagined myself, like if I was hosting the show, I always thought to myself, I'm going to shake every audience member's hand before they leave. Cause I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be such a giving person that I'm going to shake. Every <laughs> and granted, if I, you know, hosted the show as long as say Johnny Carson did for 30 years, I think I would get a bit tired of shaking every person's hand every single night. I, I think there would be a point, but that was for me, I was like, I was going to, I'm going to be the nicest person. I'm going to have all my friends on, especially when I was little. When I was in like elementary school, I was going to be like, I'll have my best friend on mm -hmm. and we can talk about dinosaurs, you know, <laughs> like, like that's where I was at because America has to know how much I love dinosaurs. You know, that was what was important <laughs> to me. You're a producer at heart. <laughs> you're the, you're the consummate host. So let me ask you, you've had, you know, a long career. Did you ever appear? I'm not calling you old. That was not me calling you old. That was more of a compliment in, in sort. Can we talk about when I was eight some more? <laughs> yeah. Cause I, uh, I love those times. Did you ever, appear on a late night show or have interactions Ooh. with the late night show as a writer performer no maybe no no i've done some good morning atlanta style things really yeah those are always interesting what, tell me why are they interesting because i'm not a morning person <laughs> to begin with <laughs> that'll so do it the good morning is not even part of my vocabulary <laughs> one time when i was a kid i was a part of the big brothers big sisters program and i remember doing like a morning 
talk show thing. I did a commercial with my big brother. He was a pilot. He was a, a commercial oh, airline cool. pilot. And um, we did a commercial with um, Sky King, who was like a 1950s like um, television star. I don't really know a whole lot about him. <laughs> I think people looked up to him because he was a... Um, I don't know what Sky... <laughs> he was, I think he was like a cowboy who flew small planes. <laughs> so, okay. You know, they were. I guess they were mixing, you know, the... Um, the rise of like small small plane enthusiasts mm-hmm. with people who are still kind of coming out of the Ronald Reagan like cowboy years mm-hmm. and trying to put together like a the perfect show for them. Mm-hmm. So that was that guy. All I remember from the commercial shoot was the dude was drunk. <laughs> um, and uh, so yeah, we did like a morning talk show for that. Like that's hard uh, being funny mm-hmm. first thing in the morning. I'm sure you know you wake up you don't want to make jokes. That, that's the last thing on your mind. Yeah, I you just know, pay, like, yeah, it, pay. I think it has something to do with that that atmosphere too because morning uh, look at the difference between like a late night show which is a lot of, you know, tongue in cheek sort of dry mm-hmm. humor and mm-hmm. you know, that fratty kind of thing kind of going on sometimes versus productive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they get up and they do things, uh-huh. you know. Right. Um that that go 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 kind of attitude in the morning, you mm-hmm. know, like Let's check out traffic. Let's look at the weather, you know. Let's right. out our whole day. They're also happy. The bright colors, you yeah. know that. Like Good Morning America, it, it's all bright. It's like oranges and yellows. Like it's Good Morning, and then yeah. you look at Jimmy Kimmel or James Corden, and it's all it's like dark, the moon. You know, the moon is the hanging up. The moon is actually like sleeping. <laughs> right. It's snoring. It's everybody. All the audience is asleep. Everybody's yeah. asleep. Yeah. Yeah, there there is that different. I never thought about that, the different dynamic between morning talk show hosts and, you know, <laughs> night talk show yeah. hosts, essentially. Well, yeah, you better start thinking about it, Max, because it's, it's life and death. It really it is. is. It's very important. It it's is. very important. So I think the last thing I want to ask you about um, late night, because you said that you don't really watch it that much. Not anymore. Nowadays. No. So mm-hmm. I want to ask you what happened. Because Letterman was so great. I'm not going to debate that. He's right. the king. He is so great. And, and maybe that's all it is. Maybe it's just pure nostalgia because hmm. that's like a heyday for me is like mm-hmm. Letterman in his, I don't know how old he was. I guess he was in his late 20s, early 30s or something maybe when he started doing that mm-hmm. show. Yeah. And then when Conan came along, mm-hmm. we watched, I remember we, I was in college and I believe we watched the premiere like night of wow. Conan. I think it was called the Conan O'Brien show. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it was Yeah, called. I think so too. Uh, it wasn't extremely funny. <laughs> and we were all, here's the thing, we were all geared up and expected it to be amazing because mm-hmm. we were like, oh, it's, one of the, it's, the, it's the head writer of The uh, Simpsons. Right, right. So I think we had an expectation in mind of what that show might look like. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, it just like it fell flat. Maybe the writing wasn't hmm. so good or they were trying too hard. I don't know. I'm sure we were stoned. <laughs> I was, you know, 19 or 20 years old or something when that happened. Uh-huh. And um, I think maybe we gave it another try the next week and it was like, nah, a little better. Hmm. And I think after that, I just sort of stopped watching TV and I was like, man, it's not that great. Hmm. And then, of course, since then, it's like, oh, my God, Conan's like, he's like one of the best interviewers of all of the talk shows, mm-hmm. for sure. He's like, this show is just consistently hilarious Mm -hmm. yeah i think it was just like my expectations were so high from when i was a kid Mm -hmm. that when i grew into an adult it was like oh this is kind of like kid stuff again like i don't know Mm -hmm. i don't know Mm -hmm. yeah it wasn't paying off for me i'll tell you for me i just i i i can't stand the 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 games the extra you don't like all that stuff i don't like that stuff i like the interview i want to learn things about the celebrities and the people on and i don't care who it is that it can be someone who's in the background of a movie or it can be you know like a brad pitt type of person i don't care he's mostly in the foreground of movies (laughs) right right so they put him in a lot of shots when they hire him I wouldn't say that, man. I would go crazy. Yeah. yeah. But no, I'm just They mix kidding. it up. They, 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 they put some they, other people on camera too they, when he's in it. Right. But it's mainly him. But he's they, easy his on face the, is in everything yeah. somewhere. Loves him. Somewhere. Yeah. It's like a Where's Brad Pitt? <laughs> where's Brad Pitt? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just, I like the interviews and yeah. I, I watch for, I, I like the monologues sometimes. I will, I will not say every monologue is good, mm-hmm. um, but I really like the interviews. And in my opinion, um, the best person who I think is on TV right now interviewing. I got to say, I think it's Jimmy Kimmel. I He's love come Jimmy a long Kimmel. Way. He, he has. Um, when I was 
I was actually in 10th grade, did a project about him. Okay, so what what was he up to then? So, well, what do you mean, when I was in yeah. 10th grade? Well, because uh, I, I, I feel like Jimmy Kimmel's had a journey. Oh, he has. Um, he started, you know, he started as a radio jockey in college. Like, he was, sense. he was like a DJ. Yeah. And then he just slowly worked his way up, and he became uh, the host of Win Ben Stein's Money. That was it. That was I was going to say it was deal. remote control, but that was the other guy. Well, who? Who's the other guy? Ah, oh, I forgot his name. I don't already. know what, what, what remote control. Is. That was another game show. Oh, okay. That MTV did. Oh, that I was like, oh, that's what Jimmy Kimmel hosted, but it was a different dude. Hmm. I can't remember his name. Yeah, uh, Kimmel did win Ben Stein's money, and that then was from right. there, yeah. um, the, he got the show, um, Jimmy Kimmel Live, and then originally it was live, and originally the audience could drink in it and yeah. so it was like this party yeah. time and then eventually as he became more popular did he do man like, show also yeah yeah um i think he, he did do that yep. with uh, adam carolla, carolla. Yep. yep adam carolla him that him and adam carolla are like buddies yeah They're like best friends um yeah he's had the skill to to host and pull off mm-hmm. the, the whole time for sure yeah. so it kind of like it makes sense that he's doing what he's doing yeah now. and his show just over the years has progressively gotten better and yeah. better and better what is it about kimmel that you think makes him the best because i've always and i but i haven't been keeping up but i always thought conan was like sort mm-hmm. of the best at making his guest look really good mm-hmm. like he's just so good at that yeah so for me the thing that i love about jimmy kimmel is that i can relate to him he doesn't come off to me as like i'm a superstar i'm a right. celebrity i make more money than you it i don't get the vibe from him at all it's kind of like i'm a common guy who got lucky and I love my job and I love my family and I love talking to people and I want to share that joy with you. And I can tell you when I went and I saw him live in LA, the guests were Shia LaBeouf and (laughs) Anna Campbell, I think from Pitch Perfect and and Green Day. Those were the three guests. Oh, cool. And that's a good show. It was great. It was awesome. The whole experience is so cool. I would encourage you or anybody who who's listening to this to, to go check out a talk show in person because it's totally different. Than watching on TV. Unless it's not Kimmel, then it's probably shit. Right. That's why you should just see Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> Nobody else. Uh, but for for me, it was just, it was such a welcoming experience. And even though he talked to the audience maybe twice during the whole taping, I just felt like I, I, I just sat there and I'm like, God, I, I want to be his friend. You know, I want to get to know this it guy. It was his likability. It was his likability. Yes. He just seems very likable. He made the guests seem comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing he didn't do that drives me nuts is when he just sucks up to the guest where he's just like, you're the best. I love you. I saw you in everything. Everything you've ever made ever is the best because you're the best of all time. Too much. It's right. It's too much. There are talk show hosts that are like that. Um, I may, and you I, know, maybe he thinks it's his one shot because I've seen, I have noticed that like, Let's say Letterman's got somebody on. Like, that's the only time he's ever going to meet that person. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're a big enough, you know, superstar. Mm-hmm. And so they take that opportunity mm-hmm. to, un- I agree with you, it's a little cringy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like for me, um, and I'll, I'll call somebody out here, Jimmy Fallon, for me. <laughs> yeah. I I just, and I, I think he's, he, I'm sure he's a nice guy. Like, I'm sure if you met him, yeah, I'm sure looks- he'd be a nice guy. But it's hard for me to watch his shows because all it is is your movie was the best thing I've ever seen, only to have the next guest him say, wow, your TV show's the best thing I've ever seen. And it's like, that's obviously not true yeah. unless you're watching nothing, yeah. you know, unless this is the only thing you've ever watched in your life. Yeah, he's, so, he comes off as soft at that point and kind of like paid for. Or exactly, you know? exactly. And that's an interesting thing also about like uh, Kimmel uh, and same thing with David Letterman. Mm-hmm. Um, they grew up like you mm-hmm. watched like I feel like Kimmel's grown up oh, for like sure. part of what's right. likable right. about him is that like, when you say he's like humble and is kind of a dude I, I sort of feel like he just matured mm-hmm. and sort of understands his role both him and Letterman I feel like aren't afraid t- to cross the line into like politics yeah you're right that kind of stuff and then fallon's like you're right he's just sort of sucking up and trying to like just and then and then like i said with his games i just the the interviews get cut short just so he has enough time to play a game right with the celebrity and cut the game i'd rather talk to the person exactly i want to learn about this guy i want to see where they came from you know that's just me though Uh, others uh most of my friends at my age love jimmy fallon love him they think he's the best ever they love him i just can't agree well it's because fallon 
told them that he's the best. Right. He, he prompted them <laughs> right. that, to laugh at his next thing because right. he's good at prompting. Right. Yeah. So for me, Jimmy Kimmel is the best one out there. For you, Conan is the I best one. These days, I mean, my ignorant perspective on it is Conan still. I mean, oh, he's so good. Mm -hmm. Letterman. You could tell when he was annoyed with a guest. Oh, yeah. And he didn't, didn't make any secret of it. And mm -hmm. there, I, I do kind of love him for that mm -hmm. at yep. the same time. But I think Conan's way better at the interview. All right. He's way better at it. Yeah. So we have Kimmel for me and Conan for you. Yeah. All right. So now. So now we take off our shirts and wrestle. <laughs> That's the next part. So we got to pause, pause the interview <laughs> okay. and then we'll come back. No, uh, I want to actually talk about you oh. now. I oh, want to talk boy. about you. It's, yeah. it's time for you to start because you're the greatest of all time and you, everything you make yep. is amazing. And yep. I absolutely love you and absolutely everything. Dude, you're Fallon and me. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm you're sorry. I, I'm slipping up. I'm sorry. I'm Epic sorry. Epic Fallon. <laughs> so uh, I want to talk to you about, I want to go back in time, eight years old or before, <laughs> yes. whenever. Okay. Uh, when did you fall in love with comedy? I think I was always a cut up. That, yeah, that's, that's it. it. Yeah, like I, it. Well, I'm thinking back. Like uh, I was very young, and I'm and we're talking like you know four year, three or four years old or something mm -hmm. like that. I was definitely if somebody walked into our house, regardless of who they were, I peeled off all of my clothes and started dancing in front of them. Uh, <laughs> that uh, was not a um, <laughs> it wasn't a sexual harassment thing or no, it was just a little kid. Uh, I was I think I was always like in a um showy kind of way mm -hmm. yeah i got you know i got those class clown things mm -hmm. uh i also got report cards that were like matt is very bright but he chose to <laughs> entertain the rest of the class all day today so we had to put him in you know the corner right. or whatever it was they did to me and then they would put me in the corner and this was the mistake that they made was now i have everybody's attention because now i'm now i'm in the corner right so i amped it up like even more you know oh, man. like fart noises and, <laughs> you know drawn on the wall because everybody's looking at me now mm -hmm. yeah i guess that's a, like a lack of shame i think is what that's how that starts yeah, i mean you zero you, shame you did anything for a laugh you know <laughs> yeah. anything it took anything it took which is very respectable which is very respectable uh, I, at that age yeah you know at you, that you age. went all out you gave yeah. it a hundred percent yeah and so so that what what we would say that's like elementary school and yeah this the elementary school those formative years for sure I was um I was definitely yada da 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 on like all the time right I think more recently uh, several years ago after we, so we used to hang out at the Euclid Avenue Yacht Club you know, okay right up the street because mm -hmm. that was our old haunt when we started Dad's and one time I got my check back from the waitress Phelan if you're listening to this <laughs> I read what you wrote uh, and. <laughs> And instead of it just saying Matt at the top of my check, because mm -hmm. um, we, we all got separate checks there, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, was, it said, look at me, Matt. It, look at me was in quotation marks. <laughs> look at me, Matt. Uh -huh. uh, and there, were, there was always a few Matts mm -hmm. at any given moment at right. Dad's Garage. You know, sometimes they're like six or seven. Right. So you didn't know it was you. Yeah. Really, so you know? I got to hand it to her. She was delineating, you know, which Matt. She could have been talking about any Matt. But it know? was pretty obvious. <laughs> this was mine i was i was look at me matt and then so i i think i started to temper part of my personality <laughs> simply because of the of the bartender at my my local watering hole look at me matt yeah i was like oh she's right i am kind of a little on when we've been drinking here at night <laughs> but but i think you know being on is i, I don't uh, to me, that doesn't bother me. Someone who goes all out 100% of the time, that doesn't bother me. I don't care. I mean, now, granted, granted, I might be look at me, Max, talking to you about this. So yeah. Who knows? I don't know. I think I'm probably worse than you in a lot of regards in that sense of adore me. Kind uh -huh. of <laughs> I went through some serious phases of... There was also... Um, I had a buddy who, when we partied, uh, would always find the lowest point in the room and we would point it out, uh, you know, like, oh, look, he's found the lowest point in the room because, you know, he's, we've been drinking all night and mm -hmm. he just sort of slunk into a place. <laughs> and then it was pointed out to me that I'm the one who finds the <laughs> highest point in the room, not figuratively or metaphorically, literally, <laughs> as soon as something um, interesting is happening, I'm on a chair or on the table. And mm -hmm. that also tied into the look at me. I, I was begging for attention mm -hmm. for the longest time, but I've since, I think I've tempered that a little bit, a little bit, just, yeah, just a little bit, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, so well, I've taken a break. I haven't done a show here at dad's in a couple of months. 
I think maybe back in March, Hmm. I did a show. April? I think it was April. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's been like two or three three months. Since so are you stepping back from performing? It feels like is, it. Yeah, are, is that a choice that you're willingly making? I don't or? know, I, Max. I'd have because I've not been this age before. I don't know <laughs> really? what's happening. But um, yeah, I'm teaching a lot, and mm-hmm. I'm you know co- coaching and sort of do you know dispensing doing, doing the wisdom interviews with yeah, people, doing interviews you know. with people. I mean, I love performing, mm-hmm. um, but I. I think it's important to have that drive to like want to be in front of the crowd because mm-hmm. if you don't, it's it's a little different, you know. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're wasting everyone's time. It's like <laughs> there's a there's a hungrier performer right behind me. So yeah, it being selective and like trying to pick your shots, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, I wonder about it though as I get older and I start slowing down, like. I, like I watched comedians like Robin Williams was also like huge in the late seventies when I was a little kid. Right. So mm-hmm. he was Mork and everybody, everybody knew who, mm-hmm. who he was. And I was a huge fan and I watched him sort of temper his act. And then, but I didn't know this about him that he'd gone to Juilliard. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I didn't know that Robin Williams had gone to Juilliard and was like already a trained, like, you know, but he knew what he was doing. You know, did you know uh, Robin Williams was actually kicked out of Juilliard? Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, and he got kicked out. He did get kicked out because okay, that makes more sense. They said to him, "We can't teach you anything. Oh, okay. You are unteachable. We cannot teach you anymore." And so they he left. So I I don't think he finished. You're too good. Yeah, he, I don't think he finished. Uh, watching him get uh, those dramatic roles like Fisher King and Goodwill Hunting and stuff as I was growing up mm-hmm. um, I, was a good signpost for me being Mm -hmm. whatever i am i I, I guess he was in his early 60s when he died is that right yeah or yeah yeah maybe or late 50s late 50s even oh i don't know he was not too young i don't know uh but uh yeah that was i think that's a good thing for guys my age to sort of see a a really wacky comedian Mm -hmm. um settle into also doing dramatic work Uh, I, i don't know that kind of path is it's appealing. It appeals mm-hmm. to me. You know? So in college, you know, you, yeah. did you major in theater? Is that I what you majored did. in? did. Not at first. I was actually, I was uh, going into math. What? Enough. Yeah. I, math? Yeah. I I was good at math as a kid. Huh. Okay. So I ended okay. up earning all these credits in school for math. Mm-hmm. And by the time I got to college, like I basically had a, almost a minor in math. Actually, I think I did have a minor by the time wow. I took a, a I didn't apply for it. I didn't get the degree, but I got a bad grade in one of my math classes, uh, meaning I didn't get an A. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it shook me, and I auditioned for a show, and I got into the show, and that was when I decided I was going to go ahead and do theater. Mm -hmm. So you went to FSU, right? Correct, Florida State, yeah. Um, So at Florida State University, you were talking about, like with Robin Williams, doing the, the comedy and drama but growing up, you were saying how you were kind of like the showboat comedy yep. guy. Was it difficult for you when they asked you to do dramatic roles for the first time? Yes. Was that a struggle? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why? Why was oh, it a struggle? Uh, it's because it's uh, cause it's because you're with comedy, you're revealing stuff about yourself like in a veiled way. You're, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of like throwing the opposite out there to get people to understand things about you. And with drama, it's just like you're peeling everything back and going, oh, God, this is who I really, this is a real part of me. Or, you know, that something about the character is like reflecting on you, you know, mm-hmm. like people who are really good at playing villains. Mm-hmm. It's because that darkness really, they're, it's there in them and they can tap into it, you mm-hmm. know. So I think there's a lot of fear and awkwardness when you start revealing especially at that age in college there was a girl uh that i had to do a scene with really fantastic writer and actress um named noelle Krim. she's uh one of the um neo-futurists up in chicago cool and we had a scene together this odd eugene o'neill sort of pseudo incestuous like mother son thing and we had and and again this class was at like eight in the morning or some <laughs> bullshit like that <laughs> yeah. and like we had we rehearsed this thing and she's supposed to be like i think my my stepmom or something in the scene and we've got to do this really intimate thing where we're close uh, up to each other and we had to have a kiss and, and all of that and um and she's she's got a fantastic sense of humor and we would try to pull off this really just overwrought 
early, you know, 20th century American like weirdness. Mm-hmm. And after we got out of the class, it was just rolling on the grass, laughing, <laughs> just like, oh my God, that was so weird. Like, I don't know, what was that? Like, right. Oh my God. I guess because I, we're comedians and we're used to kind of covering things up with jokes mm-hmm. all the time that when we do do that kind of thing, it's just like, I don't know, it's nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. So for you, it it was more, it was more difficult, like with comedy, you know, even though you're acting silly, that didn't bother you. Acting the silly, it was Looking showing. like a jackass was like the biggest lesson, the first big lesson that I learned in improv was like, oh God, right. Be okay with being wrong and looking stupid in front of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got it. Like I'm, da- I'm down, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, the other the other side of it is like being wrong and hmm. really feeling it, <laughs> you know, not covering it up. Right. Uh, so did, you are a founder of Daz Garage. Did you start improv in college or had you gotten into it before college? Before college. Okay. I was in high school. A buddy of mine, my best friend in, in high school, another Matt. All these Matts. Matts, yeah. Matt Young, <laughs> if you're listening. Hey, went to go see a show. And it was a scripted piece that this comedy theater was doing. They had to cancel the evening mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And they said, hey, stick around. We'll do an improv show for you guys for free anyway. Cool. And um, we were like, yeah, all right. Might as well. It was a small crowd. It was a small cast. The show was just hilarious. I was doubled over the entire time. It was one of the most ridiculous things I'd ever seen. And we just looked at each other and we were like, this is what, this is totally what I would like to do, right? Mm-hmm. And so Flash, like, I think it was like several months later, like, um, like nine months later or something like that. And the theater had their own space now. So we went to go check it, check it out again. And they, um, they did uh, another scripted piece. And then we took an improv workshop with them on a Saturday. It was like a um, show up at noon, $5 drop in kind of a thing. Claire Sarah was my teacher to this day is, you know, I would cite her as probably like my main influence. She doesn't know this, um, <laughs> but um, really just, I was a bit hard. I was a bit hard once we saw it mm-hmm. and saw how, and then we got to see how it works too. Mm-hmm. And when you're a nerd and you like picking things apart, you know, and you see how things work, it's like, Oh great. Yeah. I want to try to put one of these together when I get home. <laughs> so we started our own improv group when we were in college mm-hmm. And um, what was started, it called? What was it called? That was called uh, Whammo, play, the Whammo Players. Whammo Players. Whammo. And the Whammo was a reference to the the makers of the Whammo Frisbee disc. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was the Whammo Players. And then from there, how did you get to Atlanta from the Whammo Players? So I was blackballed from my theater department. <laughs> What, ha- what happened? I, how- I'm, I'm a bit of, I guess I'm a rabble rouser and... Uh, <laughs> I got a little bit of trouble in school, like not bad, nothing bad. There was an academic um, thing that I went through that I went through, you know, with the university and, Mm -hmm. and um, they just decided that I was more trouble than I was worth. So I was told by a professor of mine who wanted to cast me in a show that he was casting me despite the protests of the university, but he thought that I was perfect for the thing Mm -hmm. and he was going to just say, screw you to them and like. So he told me that because he wanted me to pay off. <laughs> so I knew, knowing that I wasn't going to get cast in anything, my, our senior year, we had the, a whole nother year left uh, with a buddy of mine, uh, George Fawnen, one of the other founders of, okay. the, of the group, um, decided that we were going to start our own theater. And so then we had our whole senior year ahead of us to mm-hmm. just do improv shows and save up money and get the word out and figure out where we were going to do this. So mm-hmm. yeah, during that year, so it was our senior year in school, we figured out, uh, we settled on Atlanta. And um, I had another buddy who had graduated, moved up here and gave us um, a heads up on a space and all that. So there was a little bit of planning involved. Okay. Yeah. What made you, I mean, you had the buddy living here who gave you the space, but why didn't you pick like New York or Chicago or LA? Right. Uh, that far north was like not, that's like dragons be here on a map. Like it, the, like above the Southeast, like faded off into like, what's up there. I had at that point in my life had never even been to New York. I don't, I had only been on like a couple of flights. So mm-hmm. like I was not well-traveled at all. Wow. So for me, and I think for some of the other guys too, sticking somewhat close to our families was not a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. So we stuck to the Southeast. I think New Orleans was on the list, but we were pretty sure we would have died in the first six months yeah. if we'd have moved there because we just like to party way too much. Mm-hmm. DC was on the list, uh, but we're none of us was 
into politics at all. Mm-hmm. I heard comedy sports was really big in DC. I could be wrong about this, but that just felt like a game that we couldn't keep up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there were other college towns that we thought about, but Atlanta just seemed like it was just the right size and the right fit. And and there wasn't anybody doing exactly what we were doing. Were, Laughing Matters was here. Mm-hmm. Tommy Futch, uh, you know, runs a great group over there. But we felt like even their style and our style was like a little bit different. So the other markets were really saturated. And I think what we were looking for was a, um, a you know, a, a void, a void that we could fill. Yeah, for sure. So you move here, you know, you start the theater. What would you say is the turning point in dad's garage? Ooh. So you, you guys are like, you know, so many. working, you're struggling, people are kind of coming. Yeah. What was that, ter- that first major turn point where you were like, we got something special. I, I mean, I love to say in my heart of hearts that it always felt special. Okay. Like, I think part of the reason that we decided to even do the, come up here and plan this whole thing was that that group had chemistry mm-hmm. and there was something, you know, palpable there. Like there's so much talent. Mm-hmm. There was, the, there's always several people in the group that was like, Oh my God, you're like, probably destined for you know television or film or something like so many great just like natural entertainers people who just like Mm -hmm. are very naturally um hilarious and and um and are good actors too which was um another really lucky thing um my my other best friends uh mark cram john gregorio uh just fantastic actors just first and foremost so i always i you're asking me, I always thought something good was going to come out of it. I, mm-hmm. I I didn't doubt it. Maybe that's part of where the looking through the rose tinted glasses <laughs> was like maybe not so great. But I think for the theater, a big turning point was when we did Cannibal the Musical. Cannibal the Musical. Yeah. What is that? So uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone um, were in, I think, film school at um, in Colorado. Somewhere around there. They, they threw... A friend of a friend threw a copy of their college film onto a VHS tape <laughs> with uh, also with their um, original South Park uh, Christmas card. Oh, I don't know wow. if you ever saw that. No, I. So did not. before they did South Park, they sort of originally did this um, Christmas card in Hollywood that they sent out to like everybody mm-hmm. that was those that was those characters. That was like the original version of it. Oh, okay, and that was on there as well. Um, and Sling Blade also was on that VHS tape. I don't know why. Um, but so uh, we watched it and um, uh, uh, Cannibal is a um, like almost like airplane style mm-hmm. retelling of a true story of a guy named Alfred Packer who um, found himself leading a bunch of miners out to like gold country um, and getting supremely lost and ended up having to like eat each other. Jeez. But they did it as a a musical, a comedy musical. Well, it makes it a lot better. I'm sure it's not as dark when it's done as a comedy musical. (laughs) Not not as dark, Uh, but they did it with the gore factor. So, um, if this helps, Troma was the one who distributed it. Troma video, right? Mm. Like, so that's who we originally called and we were like, we called Troma and we were like, hey, we want to do Cannibal the Musical as a stage adaptation because mm-hmm. the movie that they made is a nod to stage musicals. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't it be great if we just took it right back and put it back on the stage again? Right. Um, the pace and the language and everything was just like exactly what what we loved. And um, so Trey Parker and Matt Stone, now again, this is pre-South Park, um, mm-hmm. gave us the thumbs up. They actually sent wow. us a postcard with Matt like in the backyard <laughs> on his lawn chair for our <laughs> opening night, giving us, you know, one of these. And he's like, have a great opening night, guys. Um, and uh, it was a super hit. Uh, what it became was like the vibe for the theater. I mm-hmm. think after that, people were like, oh, you guys are a musical comedy like theater. But regardless if that's true, uh, it everybody just knew that as like a, a dad's garagey kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we borrowed, we borrowed from Trey Parker and Matt. Stone that's super, that that's point. something I never knew. Yeah. That is super cool. Yeah. So th- was that, so that was probably your first time interaction with people who would become you know, big nationally known people or were there others who, well, actually the improv group that I started in Wayne Brady was in. So, Oh, right. Okay. So he was 19. I think I was 16, 15 or 16 or something like that. He went to a cross town high school. 
So when I first started doing improvisation um, and learning my chops, we were doing tons of shows a week, mm-hmm. um, like three shows a night, you know, like you wow. really learn how to deal with an audience when you're doing three improv shows yeah, a night. Do. Uh, and then you watch somebody like Wayne and you're like, oh, he's, dude, yeah. <laughs> I mean, sure, that guy's going places. Like mm-hmm. Adam, straight out of high school, he's like already just hitting on all cylinders. Um you know, you're, I think you're constantly when you're running in these circles surrounded by people who are like potentially like, yeah, you're fantastic. Like you see so many. I mean, that's that's always been my thing here at Dad's Garage. There's just so much talent hanging around here. There's so mm-hmm. much potential. Um, what happens with that potential? You know, it's a whole other thing. Um, but uh, I, yeah, no, I, that certainly no stranger to being around just like extremely prolific and mm-hmm. and um and, and known people. Um, we also world premiered a Graham Chapman play, hmm. obviously posthumously, mm-hmm. um, you know, an original member of uh, Monty Python. And it was a script that had never been done. But somebody who knew us who lived here in Atlanta was a guy who uh, took care of um, the archives, I guess, Graham Chapman's archives, and threw a script our way and was like, hey, take a look at this. And so we got to world premiere that. That also was great because we had like, you know, uh, John Cleese calling the theater and leaving a message for us opening night, telling That's us cool. to, to you know break a leg and all that. So like, yeah, I think there I, people root for an underdog, and there's nothing like a little like you know crap ass like black box theater in, you know, <laughs> in the middle of. Uh, you got to remember before D- Dad's was torn down and gentrified and turned into a you know multi million dollar condo <laughs> like uh, live eat work play die place <laughs> mm-hmm. um, on the map. For Atlanta, when we started there, it was scratched into the neighborhood was the uh, the words back to life. Hmm. So there was like nothing going on. Wow. You know, like it was kudzu and a warehouse mm-hmm. and then the story of the guy who hung himself under the bridge. Right. Like that was where we were like, all right, this looks like a good place to do some comedy. Back to life. So, uh, Yeah. I think the I think the vibe that we brought worked really well. What we were, you know, mm-hmm. bringing to the neighborhood. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it just cont- that vibe continued because I look around today and right now, you know, we're sitting in dad's garage's newest location, this church, and it's nice. It's do you ever look around and just take a moment and just stare at how big it's gotten? This is crazy to me, to be honest. This is this is nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm I'm kind of a minimalist, you know, like mm-hmm. I'll, I can I'll, I'll travel with like a backpack and like just a shirt. And <laughs> there have been times that I've moved into apartments mm-hmm. and then I moved into my next apartment and I <laughs> next the next year and I never unpacked that whole year. Uh-huh. Right. So uh, to me, this is like oh, these kids don't know how good they got it. You know, um, it's uh, it's crazy. It, I'll say that uh, the, the current um crop you know that's running things here this is something that they did Mm -hmm. i i can't take any credit and i and i refuse to take any credit for any of this stuff because this is um this is bigger than i ever imagined it would be um and i think also just between you and me um oh god this is a podcast (laughs) um i think there's uh i think chemistry works up to a certain point you know i think that Mm -hmm. when a group gets past a certain number um it takes on a different identity and that's what this theater has done is it's gotten so big that it's um that it's you know it's basically an institution mm-hmm. um and I think that's a for me that was always a danger that I was um wondering about like what happens when you go from being the upstarts or mm-hmm. like in our very first review like this show will be funny to uh twenty somethings and friends of the cast <laughs> you know and it's like <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, that's all I fucking care right. about. Right. You were okay with that. And, and, and people my age, and I want to make them laugh. Right. Mm-hmm. That was our first critique. And going from that to something that's way bigger than that, where it's like you're not just like trying to crack each other up in the back row. It's like, oh no, the city's looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, the, actually, the whole state's looking because you're getting funding and, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. That's yeah. a whole other bag. Um, I tend to shy away from that kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, that light you know? are most of the founders have they most of them moved on to other yeah. things yeah 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 i think most of them are still in performing in some regard or another mm-hmm. um but yeah i think me and george are the only ones who still live in atlanta wow yeah okay so how and where did others go what did they so, venture into um 
uh, one guy who was going to start the theater with us, I mentioned Josh, he took off for New York and went to do stand up like right away because he was like, it was his calling. Mm hmm. Uh, my buddy John also moved to New York, but I think he might be living in Chicago now. Um, he's a, an actor who has uh, started as a, another improv group. Pardon me, I'm burping into your microphone. It's disgusting. <laughs> um, uh, with some other guys who did improv with us in college, mm -hmm. he grabbed some other guys that were uh, uh, moving to New York, and they're amazing at what they do, and they're doing television. Um, Steve Stephen Guarino is. Um, I'm dying up here. Is that the name of the show that just came out? Yes, he's in that. Yes. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, I haven't as, seen. As like an actor, I yeah. watched the yeah. uh, the pilot. I watched the pilot. So he's got uh, in the show. He's got super long, shaggy, like blondish kind of hair. Okay. Wow, I that's interesting. I'll yeah. have to I'll have to go and watch it again. Oh yeah, yeah we're, I watched the pilot. Oh yeah, we're all over the place. Some of the other people from Dad's. Oh, let's see. So, um, well, Matt Young's out in L.A. and he's a screenwriter. Very cool. Uh, he and he does improv out there. He directs improv shows. Uh, he did the commercial thing. He's um, been in bands, um, but I think his main thing is now he's a screenwriter and he's um, actually been up for some jobs. I think it's okay to talk about this because it's been a couple weeks, but he's been up for jobs for some of the major um, productions. Very uh, cool that are out there now. Um, so uh, and now it, oh, actually he uh, he did just get a writer's room job uh, last week, and I haven't called him back, so I got to figure out how the first week went. <laughs> Sean is a major director around the country. I think he might be even he might be an artistic director at another theater now. Okay. Um, possibly up in New York. I haven't kept up with him much in the last couple of years. Uh, my buddy Mark moved to Prague. Okay, that's an interesting and, choice. Yeah, he does improv and puppetry and music and uh, theater, and he's a dad out there as well. Cool. Um, uh, yeah, he moved to Czechoslovakia. Wow. It, Bo bless you. It's interesting. They're, we're all over the world, that's, man. That's super cool. And then here you are. You no, know, you stayed in Atlanta. Yeah. And, <laughs> no, here I am. I don't, eating I don't, my sausage turnover and doing podcasts. I, I, no, I'm not comparing you, oh, you know, no, to the Prague guy. I'm just saying what you made a a great choice in in my opinion. I think I like the niche that I've carved out for myself here. Yeah. Uh, I do a lot of voiceover work, which is really great if you can get it. And mm -hmm. I have producers that call me and I get to do work. I, I did um, some Adult Swim stuff and got mm -hmm. to do some cartoon work. Um, Didn't you? You were an Anchorman, weren't you? Anchorman and I did. Uh, yeah, I did Anchorman too. That and that was through an improv um, connection as well. It's a really wonderful community to be a part of. If you're, mm -hmm. if you, even if you just want to dip a toe in the improv community, <laughs> um, welcome. They'll say yes. Yeah, they have to yeah. by law. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, no, things are, this is a good, Atlanta is, uh, and it's quickly becoming saturated. I'm teaching, you know, some work over at another studio, and uh, all of my students are like, just moved here from L.A. about three months ago. Mm -hmm. So, I just have a one, a couple last questions for you. Where do you one. see, just one, okay, this is the last yeah, thing, okay. and then I'm going to turn it off <laughs> instantly. Uh, wh where do you see your career going from here? Um. I don't know. Uh, there's this uh, a buddy of mine, Chris Parnell, uh, not Chris Parnell from Saturday Night Live and Archer Chris Parnell, but another Chris Parnell. What are the odds that Isn't they that all have the same name? Yeah, there's a few of them. And, and he like, yeah. So um, he uh, is about, uh, I want to say like 11 or 12 years older than me. Mm -hmm. And I grew up uh, with um, some a lot of my uncles and, and older brother uh, sort of, uh, you know, mentor types were about that age. And um what I found out from talking to Chris Parnell was that as you get older, you start to hit a sweet spot uh, in your casting. And um, and I think that mine's coming up because I've always been this sort of like kind of squirrely, like young, can't really like how old like you can't tell how old I am. Right. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes I have a beard, sometimes it's white and sometimes I, <laughs> I, I shave it off and I look like I'm in my maybe I'm guessing 30s probably still. <laughs> um, so in the. Next few years, I think you're going to see me um, playing some like uh, by the side of the road, you know, like sitting on a um, sitting on a uh, an old tin can, you know, like playing a banjo. Mm -hmm. It's a very specific, some real specific, specific role. Like, yeah, some, you know, silver bearded kind of things. Yeah, for sure. I I'm waiting to get older so I can find my type is mm -hmm. what's happening because I. Uh, I've got this man boy thing kind of going on yeah. for a long time and I refuse to grow up. And it's probably because I stay up until, you know, four in the morning playing Xbox every night. 
Uh, so, uh, I'm still like, a, I'm acting like a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think one of these days, uh, I'll mature like Jimmy Kimmel or David Letterman matured. <laughs> and, um, and then my career will, and I'll, I'll catch up with my career. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, but, who knows? We may have to talk again in a couple of years. Yeah. To see where you, where you ended up. so so sitting at this table the absolute last thing i want to ask you and then i'll just cut it off immediately yeah uh we're out of time of course is what advice would you give to somebody who wants to be like you who wants to be an improviser or who just wants to get into the comedy world in general what piece of advice uh, in all your years of learning of acting improvising what would you tell them the comedy world will always be there waiting for you it's not going anywhere so make sure that you find time to explore some other stuff too Mm -hmm. Uh, whatever your other interests are feed them fuel them you know if you've got like some weird like you like to collect mushrooms or you know bird (laughs) bird watch or Uh slot car racing or i don't know whatever your other thing is Mm -hmm. um don't feel like you've got to throw all your eggs into the comedy basket because it can be maddening and the great thing about having a a, that balance between your professional and your personal is that they they feed each other you've got to go out there and recharge and like have experiences and do things um i find that it's a little bit of a um it can be a little bit of a turnoff to me if I can tell somebody is like just a pure and industry kind of person and, and they don't have any interests outside of the um, uh, doing comedy or just sort of being on all the time. Um, that can be really exhausting for me. So I don't know. My advice would be to just find that balance and, and um, you know, whatever those weird little nerdy things are that you're like kind of into that don't that maybe, you know, you don't share, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff can absolutely fuel your comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think it's great that awkward, like awkward and like really uncomfortable comedy is, is so popular, like the office and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of tension is just so much fun to play with. Um, that, uh, that, yeah, I think you gotta like, in a way you kind of gotta let your freak flag fly, you know, <laughs> and, uh-huh. um, and, uh, let that, let that nervousness play. Cause it can be really fun and funny mm-hmm. for everyone else. All right. Well, that's some good advice. I, yeah. re- I really like that. I really like that. You know, the comedy world will always be there. Yeah. You know, I really like yeah. that. That's a good takeaway. So thank you so much for, yeah. Max, for, thank you. for taking the time to talk to me and eat your, what is this? That's a sausage turnover from Little Tart Bake Shop. Shout out to them yep. for this, this sausage turnover. Thank you for, yeah, just talking with me, sharing all you know. And this has been Talking Late Night with Max Cantor with special guest Matt Stanton.